welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. In each episode, I speak with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. If you enjoy the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave us a review so others can find the show too. My guest today is Dr. Ian Burke. Ian is a professor in wheat science at Washington State University. His research program is focused on basic aspects of wheat biology and ecology with the goal of integrating such information into practical and economical methods of managing weeds in the environment. Ian also teaches the undergraduate course in weed science. Hello, Ian. Hello, Drew. So uh, we've had you on uh, before, uh, often talking about uh, troublesome annual grass weeds and and herbicide resistance. We seem to be um, seeing more and more of that all the time. And um, as we see more of that, there appears to be kind of a wholesale shift back to pre-emergence herbicides for annual grass control and wheat. How has our situation changed since the 1970s, which is when that's all we had, to now? In a lot of ways, we're right back to where we were in the 1970s. The, the options that we have are very similar to what farmers would have used back in the 1970s for weed control. So those who have institutional knowledge of how we did it then likely probably have a little bit of a leg up about what might work in their situation now. The uh, you know the herbicides that come to mind that would have been widely used in the in the late 1970s would have been metribuzin um it would have been potentially been um old product called holon which was diclofop um that came along in the mid 1970s and it would have um also probably included um interesting things like atrazine <clears throat> which can be sort of fraught with peril and so there's a um there's these old products now available, they're still available, and then we've now really just combined them with new products. And so uh, I think it's really incumbent upon farmers <clears throat> to know and understand how to use those pre-emergent herbicides um, as a foundation uh, and then uh, augment them with post-emergent herbicides that might still work depending on their situation. And that's really true for all gra- annual grasses. It, it really doesn't matter. Um, cheatgrass. Italian ryegrass, rat tail fescue, those are all um, pests that really respond to pre-emergence programs. Okay. I don't don't know that you even have to go back to the 70s. When I started my career in the 90s in western Nebraska, there were no post-emergence selective herbicides. So it was all those products you talked about. I think even trifluralin trying to do – and they all require – different things to make them effective or safe for wheat use. And it was really quite a challenging time. And then then all of a sudden the, the group twos came along. Uh, I think Maverick was the first one around 2001 or so. And uh, things really changed and made, uh, made uh, grass control in wheat quite a bit easier. Uh, but uh, those days may be limited. So yes, the pre-emergence herbicides are coming back. What, what factors affect the efficacy of pre-emergence herbicides because it isn't just go out and spray them. You need to kind of know several things before you use them. What are some of those? Can you discuss those for us? The things I think about when I'm using pre-emergent herbicides uh, are 
largely related to water availability and and you need a lot of water to activate certain herbicides that we're using now. Peroxisulfone, so Zidua or Anthemflex, most farmers will know those names, is really sensitive to the amount of rainfall that occurs after application for activation. And so that's unfortunately something we don't have a lot of here these last few farming seasons where we just haven't had a lot of fall moisture until very late. And um, that means that we're likely not having good activation to manage things like fall emerging cheatgrass with that herbicide or it's a a hit or miss proposition and so you kind of have to be very careful with your note taking understand when and 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 how much rain occurred and that likely can help you diagnose when you see gaps in your your pre-emergence program emerge because of just because of of active activation the other thing we're really seeing with that particular herbicide is uh, tie up or it's not necessarily tie up. It, so it's not active in residue sitting on the soil surface. And that's really a bit of a frustration. So I've watched cheatgrass live its entire life cycle in the residue of, of the, you know, in these cropping systems. And so if it's in the residue, it's likely not being exposed to the, to the herbicides in the soil and, and you miss the, the weed because of that. And so you've got to, there is a little bit of a mixture of residue management. I'm not talking about, you know, getting rid of your residue. I'm talking about understanding how to make sure you have uh, a thick enough residue layer to promote soil conservation, but not enough residue that it might allow cheatgrass to live its entire life cycle. And so you just got to evaluate what your current status is. Think about um, how and when that cheatgrass might germinate and emerge and then choose a, an effective residue management system that would facilitate success with the herbicide in such a way that maybe you can solve the problem enough that you don't need to necessarily do residue management in the future. And so there's a there's a bit of a recipe there for success you've just got to experiment with. Okay. You, you mentioned uh, combining pre-emergence herbicides with, with post-emergence herbicides. Can you give some idea of how that might work? Are you putting on those post-emergence in the fall, as those weeds come up, or do you wait? If you use a pre-emergence, do you wait to the spring to put them on? And and um, how do you know? I guess most growers will know which which post-emergence herbicides won't work. But what if you don't have any post-emergence herbicide that works? Do you then mix a couple different pre-emergence herbicides? Yeah, that's a. Um, I think that's the. I guess hundred million dollar question, right? So, what? How do you design these systems? based on, you know, increasing prevalence of herbicide resistance, particularly to the post-emergence herbicides. Um, knowing that we can't just keep using something like Zidio or Anthemflex year after year after year on every crop on the entire farm and not expect the same result. And so uh, it's really important to get your weeds tested for herbicide resistance or at least know what um, works and what doesn't on your farm. You can do that on your own, um, but you also have to uh, – Usually, I like to see um, old metribuzin used with um, Zidua or Anthemflex at some point in the cropping season. That usually goes out early post-emergence to late post-emergence in the spring. It always seems to bring a little bit of benefit no matter what the situation is, which weed we're talking about. Um, it's a completely different mode of action. Um, you know, picking post-emergence programs that are effective. Understand that pre-emergence herbicides will almost always make post-emergence systems more effective because 
if they're used well, the pre-emergent herbicides will make the weeds germinate later in the season so that they'll be much smaller when you use your post-emergence herbicides to control them. Um, it gives farmers more time to get out and, and be more timely when the weeds are a little bit smaller. Um, we know that smaller weeds respond usually a little bit better to, to our post-emergence herbicides. So again, there's a recipe there for success. You use your pre's not only just to manage the weeds all fall and into the early spring, but also to make sure that what does germinate germinates later, and it gives you more time to be um, timely to those uh, to, to treat those weeds with a post-emergent herbicide. Okay, M many pre-emergent herbicides because they need to have some residual to be effective uh, can have effects on following rotational crops. Uh, so. How do you how do you go about using those in a in a system where you plan to rotate to things other than small grains? Rotation restrictions are probably the biggest frustration for us in the PNW. It seems like our herbicides last twice as long uh, here as anywhere else that I've ever, I've ever worked, um, and it's the nature of our cold uh, winters and our dry summers that just sets us up for persistence for certain herbicides. So you know the. The way to manage that is to make sure you know what the limitations are and you stick to your rotations, stick to the plan. Um, it's really, it's a frustration not to be able to perhaps chase commodity prices depending on what the crops are doing, but, you know, sticking to a weed management plan, sticking to the rotation so you don't potentially cause yourself injury because of the use of, of certain herbicides at the, and then rotating to the wrong crops. Um, the other sort of in consideration I think of when I think about rotation and herbicide choice is not using the same herbicide over and over again, which you can do with Sidua and Anthemflex. So they're, you know, they're labeled in most of all, most all our crops now. So um, it's important that if you have options that are as effective for annual grass control, that you exercise and use those options. So there are a number of other herbicides in the same mode of action as Sidua or Anthemflex. Group 15s, um, I'm thinking things like Dual, Outlook. Um, they can be used effectively in our pulse crops. They're not labeled in our wheat crops. And there's not been a lot of evidence that we get cross-resistance when we, when we go from one Group 15 to another. They're just different enough that that's a little bit less of a concern, particularly when you're using post-emergence programs too. And so it's really... Uh, uh, just about designing that program and sticking with it, knowing what each herbicide brings to the table in terms of its strengths and weaknesses, where they fit in that rotational system, and thinking about the system in its entirety and not um, year to year. That sort of mitigates that issue for rotational issues. Okay, I was going to ask you, what, you know, what are some of the herbicides we can use in other crops that will help us with our winter annual grass problems? You mentioned a couple of them. Um, any others that come to mind? You know, there's a there's a number of older products. Uh, you know, Prowl, Treflan, of course, Treflan requires some sort of rainfall for incorporation or, or mechanical incorporation to be used. Um, there's old Fargo, which seems to be of interest now, particularly where we're seeing a wild oat resurge in, in certain areas. And so there's a lot of different, several different products that could be deployed to control these annual grasses. Um, and your results may vary. It just depends on what you're dealing with and the situation you're in. But knowing what each one of them can do for you is really important these days. And when, uh, you mentioned rainfall and, and uh, pre-emergence herbicides. Uh, I think a lot of them are also affected by um, soil texture, organic matter. 
Um, how does a grower manage those sorts of things? You know, organic matter is usually strongly associated with with uh, reduced longevity. So increasing organic matter will reduce your overall um, persistence of, of residual herbicides. So that's particularly true once you get up above about 25 and 3% organic matter. I start to really see efficacy drop off quickly. Certainly with, um, and that, that's clearly reflected in the label often by um, increasing rates uh, recommended on the label in response to increasing organic matter. And so that's the basis. It just, it, the organic matter just ties things up. On the other side of that, you can have too low organic matter in products like old uh, Linux or Lorox. Once you get below about 1% organic matter can potentially cause crop injury if you use too high a rate. And so you've got to um, be aware that you can fine tune these rates based on something like organic matter. Uh, pH is another driver for those rates and pH um, has a very similar effect. So certain herbicides persist for much longer when pH is low, which is a chronic condition in our area, particularly the um, sulfonylureas and the imidazolinones. And so there's a but that's also uh, herbicide by herbicide um, dependent. And so you've got to really read those labels carefully, understand what kind of tillage system you're in and what that might mean for persistence, uh, understand pH and organic matter, and that can kind of help you fine-tune those rates for, for the maximum benefit. Okay. It, seem, it seems like uh, we've been kind of spoiled in the last 20 years. These uh, post-emergence herbicides were quite easy to use um, and effective. Uh, those days are seem to be disappearing a bit on us. And as we go to pre-emergence herbicides, I think the message is read the label, understand it. Um, they're not quite so simple. They can be effective, particularly if used in association with post-emergence herbicides. So Ian, I'm sure we'll have you back. I don't think our herbicide-resistant issues are going away anytime soon, if ever. And so we'll, we'll catch up with you another time. Thanks for sharing your information on pre-emergence herbicides for the control of annual grasses and wheat. Thanks, Drew. Great to be here. Thanks for joining us and listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. If you have questions or topics you'd like to hear in future episodes, please email me at drew.lyon, that's L-Y-O-N, at wsu.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu and on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications and the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next time. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement.